Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Hey, everybody. We are so excited to be here with you today. I have a little more voice this week. Not that much, but a little bit. Um, but we are here today with our new friend, Harry Cherry. He is a luxury real estate specialist with EXP uh, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and he has been featured in Wall Street Journal, Mansion Global, New York Post, The Real Deal, The Daily Mail, all of the big major publications. So we're so excited to have you with us today to learn a little bit more about you and about luxury real estate. So kick us off by telling us how you got into real estate and how that journey started for you. Sure. So um, real estate was actually my plan right out of high school, pursued the classes to get my license, didn't finish, ended up going into journalism for a while for a Jewish newspaper in New York. Um, did that, didn't like the tumultuous nature of politics in our country because staying neutral is what I'm best at. And um went back to pursuing my passion and have been at it about three years now. Very nice. You've made some hell of headway in, in three years. So um, was luxury something that you knew you always wanted to go into? How did that kind of path start for you? Sure. I mean, I've always had a passion for architecture and I'd also say the finer things in life. <laughs> um, and just, I mean, always having an insane amount of market knowledge, which in my opinion, we'll talk about is the biggest key to success in the high end. Um, in fact, the younger you are, the more perceived knowledge you have to have. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, it's been a ride and it's been great and I've had some great mentors along the way. So. So what is the luxury market considered in the suburbs of Philadelphia? Because I know like the Hershey area luxury market where my family's from is like basically 700 plus. Um, but what sure. is it in the Philly area? Because you're a much different demographic. Sure. So whether you look at the luxury home, the, the guild or the organization that runs the luxury home marketing specialist designation, as well as other thought leaders, the general consensus is the top 20% of any market. Um, excuse me, the top 10% of a market. However, here I'd say it's a million and up. Um, the real luxury, real luxury, in my opinion, is three and up. Um, but yeah, I mean, a million and up is considered luxury. Um, it's funny, I'm friends with one of the top agents in Miami, and she all her listings are 20, 40, 50 million. Right, <laughs> and yeah. I tell her we don't have those numbers here. Um, so like we we if we have an ultra luxury listing normally it's a quiet listing it's not publicly marketed mm -hmm. um which i think is a disservice i'll talk a little bit more about marketing that's definitely mm -hmm. the number one way in which i've managed to set myself apart so i will say as someone that doesn't really do the luxury side of things there's a reason why 
Uh, it's because I am terrified of it. Um, I don't think I am the right person for it. I, it scares the shit out of me, to be honest. Like, I don't know how marketing is different um, in your, the way that you guys do luxury up there. But here in Colorado Springs, like we don't have a ton of luxury homes. Like I have one listing that's 1.45, but we don't consider that a luxury list. I'm pretty sure you bought the luxury listing in Colorado Springs to live in pretty much, Angela. <laughs> I guess I bought yeah. the luxury foreclosure, but, uh, but oh, so you picked your own house. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I bought one that was a $950,000 gut job. So, um, yeah, that was fun. Um, but that price point and the marketing that's required for that price point, I just don't understand to be honest. Like I don't, there's like such a big difference between marketing a track home and a custom luxury home. And can you talk a little bit about like, you know, how you overcame just not wanting to do any of the track homes like the rest of us idiots and how you just decided to just go full balls into like the crazy luxury market, which terrifies most of us because. I mean, I'd say 85, 90% of my business is the high end. However, like everybody else, I have to pay the bills. So um, as long as it's in my market, I don't turn anything away. Um, I don't, regardless of price point. But yeah, I mean, most people don't get into it because they don't have the confidence or they have fear or a combination thereof. Yeah. And I've just never had that. I've been relentless. I've been fearless and I've known what I wanted and I just have gone after it. I wouldn't say that I'm not confident in general. I'm just not confident at that price point, I guess. I feel like it requires me to be a different type of myself, you know? Yeah, I mean, when you're new to this, I don't care who you are. If you're talking to a Fortune 500 CEO or a billionaire, I mean, you're going to be a little nervous until, until you do that on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But I, I do feel like most real estate agents, like that that's, I guess, the traditional finger quotes, like career path of a real estate agent is typically like do some deals, get your feet wet. And, and then eventually move up into luxury. Um, and I don't know if it's like this where you are in the Philly suburbs, but here in Denver, there's a pretty small elite group of people who really do the high, high end luxury stuff. Um, you know, like I, I've listed properties, helped buyers many times in my area in the top 10%, but I'm, I'm not like Edie Marks, who's, you know, the woman here who does that's all she does, right? That's a very, I feel like it's a different type of agent. So how do you get started at that if that's what you want to do? I mean, it, it's a process and it doesn't happen overnight. But yes, depending on the market, there are two, two I'd say five people who really dominate the high end in any market that you look. Even if you look in New York City or Beverly Hills, um, there's only a small handful of people who dominate the high end market. And it's not because, I mean, it, it does take a lot of very hard work and persistence and consistency to break in, but it comes down to most people are afraid. That's really why there's not more people in it. Um, mostly in my market, like I have massive inroads because my competitors, I mean, I don't like to talk about them, but they'll list a $5 million house and they'll just take some really good photos, some drone shots and call it a day. 
I mean, Wait, what are, should they be doing? Like, what yeah. do you do that's different than them? So I have a publicist on retainer that we use for every listing. Um, they also manage my marketing. It's how I've gotten featured in the Wall Street Journal. So like when I'm on a listing appointment, you can't ever promise, but we're going to try our best to get one of those listings featured in an outlet, if not multiple. Um, I've also done some proprietary, came up with some proprietary marketing platforms and partnerships on social media. I'm also doing cinematic videography. So like when we get a high-end listing, we'll shoot a small movie the Rolls Royce or a Ferrari driving down the driveway. Then the drone goes up in the air with incredible music showcasing the lot, the incredible pool, the resort style backyard. Um, now you can do it where the drone flies through and out the house. It's just, it's just incredible. And um, yeah, marketing is where I shine. Anybody can stick a sign in the yard and call it a day. I would say that right there is where most agents are scared because they think they hear that and they're like, holy shit, how much is that going to cost? Um, because to make a video here, um, a cinematic videographer here is going to cost me probably a thousand to two thousand dollars upfront just to even start even thinking about marketing that house. So I think that's probably where more. most agents. Yeah. Or more. But if you're not prepared to make that investment, you're not ready to break into luxury. That's my right. that's my philosophy. You have yeah. to spend money to make money. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, especially if you want to be one of the five, you know, that's dominating. Um, but I I think it's interesting, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, but um, okay, how do I say this? I'm usually not PC, so I don't know why I care, but um, how do you, okay, so I feel like in my opinion, mo there's opportunity there for agents because most of the luxury agents, at least in my market, they're older, they don't do sexy marketing, they're not doing really cool stuff, um, and there probably was huge opportunity for you to break into that luxury market because you're younger, you're cutting edge, you know how to do all of that stuff, right? You aren't just taking some pictures and throwing it up on your MLS. Exactly. I, I mean, I'll never forget before I got into it, the person who's my number one competitor now, she told me your age is going to be a problem. I started when I was young, but I don't know if she didn't have the insane amount of market knowledge when she started, but when you, I can drive down any street in my market and I know every major estate, who the buyer was, who the seller was, when they bought, what they paid, the history of the house, who the architect was, who the builder was. And I don't think I've ever, nobody in the high end has ever said anything about my age. Mm -hmm. In fact, people I've got it from have been like not high end sellers. Like the last time I got it was probably a year and a half ago. And it was from a guy who was selling like a six or $700,000 house. Yeah. So talk about, because, you know, we've been talking a lot about on the show, like right now with the market calming down a little bit, what agents have that they haven't had before, if they haven't been in the business a long time is time, right? They're not running at this crazy clip speed, um, you know, and so they've got time right now. Talk about how you learned all of that and how you became the specialist, because I don't care if you want to go after luxury or real estate in general, that's like unbelievable everyone should have that some level of that market knowledge right so how did you how did you do that how big is your area first of all i mean it's rather big i mean 
I want people to hear that though, because it's we're not talking like two blocks. Right? No, so you were working. You're working to learn this stuff. It's not like I you drove six houses. No, so I work the main line of Philadelphia, which is the predominant suburbs outside of the city, and it's a collection of ten to twelve towns that are very affluent. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the colleges Bryn Mawr and Villanova. So they're two of the towns, for example. And we have Gladwin, which was ranked the sixth richest zip code in the entire country by Bloomberg in 2018. Um, despite that, our prices are they're high, but they're nothing like you're in Colorado. They're not Aspen. They're not, yeah, they're not prices. They're not the Hamptons. They're not Miami. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, it's, it's like Cherry Creek times, you know, 15 different neighborhoods, basically. Well, that's what I want people to hear because, um, like, I think there's a level of laziness. I know that there's a level of laziness that goes in with real estate agents in general. And, like, especially if you want to break into luxury, how are you ever um, – you're not just going to walk in and land a listing the way that you would, faking it, you know? So no. I want – over here like so did you how did did you focus on little suburbs or like did you break it up how did you get that immense amount of market knowledge on your area i just did it all at once um some of it whether it's designers comes from going back and looking at mls listings 15 years ago or more um you just need to be immersed in your market um i study it still two hours a day an hour and a half a day at, wow. at night so you have to, the younger you are, the more you have to know. In fact, I would go on to say you need to perceive, be perceived as having even more knowledge and more expertise than the number one and number two market leaders. Yeah. I would venture to say that there's probably not a luxury listing agent in your market that goes to listing appointments in t-shirts uh, and jeans and expects to get the listing. I think that that is like most of us agents are like, we can wear whatever we want and still get the listing and we'll still sell it. It doesn't matter what we're wearing. It freaking does in that market because those buyers and sellers are probably some of the most knowledgeable that you will ever come across and they likely know more than you. Um, so you can't just fake it till you make it. You need to look the part and be the part um, if you're going to be able to get that listing, especially if you're up against another agent like you that absolutely does know what they're talking about. So how do you recommend that people break in? You just need to be confident and you need to know your stuff and you need to like, don't be afraid to cold call to, to break in once you have the knowledge. Like most people would never do that, but there are people just like anybody else. Yeah. Obviously if they're a fortune 500 CEO or a billionaire, they're incredibly busy. They may not pick up because of that, but it doesn't mean if you leave a message, they won't call you back. So you're studying, um, I'm sure your competition too, right? Like you studied all uh, of oh, Very much so. I look yeah. at strengths, but then I also look at weaknesses and how I can turn that around to my advantage. So for example, they don't show their own listings 95% of the time. So I turn that around and tell them I'm present, not just at every showing, but I demonstrate your property. Um, they're not, again, we turn around the marketing. Um, I've also developed this proprietary market preparation checklist that helps people uh, prepare their house for sale and makes it look loved. Um, and that's another thing I do and I execute and I give them, I don't give it out until they sign the listing contract, but hmm. yeah, yeah so it's, it's just, just because they're immersed in that market doesn't mean they're better than you. 
the longer, well, the, yeah, longer I mean, it, the, the more entitled they become. They feel entitled to every three, five, ten million dollar listing that comes along. Those agents, you mean, that are yeah, your competition, yeah. And like I said, they're they're not at least not here. We don't we're not seeing um, luxury agents are kind of an old breed, right? Like they're not doing cutting edge stuff. Um, and I don't, it's kind of, do they give you crap? Have you heard from any of your competition? Like who is this guy that's come in and taken some of our market share? Cause I think people are afraid of that too. No, 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 I don't. And whether it's luxury or real estate in general, I've never gotten that from the people at the top and I don't know anybody who does. Mm -mm. No, because the agents that are at the top and we've talked about this many times, they're too busy. They're too busy. They don't care. They're confident in their own stuff. They're not squabbling and fighting with people. That's like the benchmark of the mid-level agent, in my opinion, the one that like wants all the control and to yell at people. Very um, much. They, they could care less. A professional does not do that, right? So, but if how you're do you? Where you're at their level, they're they're genuinely happy for you. Yeah, yeah. And how do you, how do you deal with? Um, okay, so I think Angela brought up. So I have two questions. Angela brought up something really good, which is do I have to wear Prada and Louis Vuitton and all these designers? Do I have to drive a G wagon to go get a luxury listing? No, you don't. And we can definitely talk more about that. I mean, look back to my first two big, really big listings. Um, and they were what I would call a maverick. So, but before I go into that, I would say that, You'd be surprised at the number of high-end sellers who don't wear expensive brands. Oh, yeah. A lot of those brands are poor people just trying to look rich. Right. Again, going back to like the mid-level person that wants to look extra wealthy or bougie, right? But yeah. You need to know your stuff. You need to be professional. Now, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of people who are into fashion, just like there are a lot of people who are into cars or buying yeah. second or third homes or the high in the high end, they normally splurge in one or two areas and really are really cheap everywhere else. Hmm. Um, but no, I mean, no, I mean, you need to be confident and be professional T today. That doesn't even mean we're having to wear a suit or a tie anymore. Um, I still do a lot, but you don't have to, I mean, look at Aaron Kerman, the number one agent in Beverly Hills. He's confident mm -hmm. he walks into a $50 million listing with a t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, I see the guys in Breckenridge. There's some. There's two guys there that do a ton of luxury business, and they are in t-shirts and shorts most of the time, or t-shirts and ski pants most of the time, and jumping on, you know, private jets. And I'm like, how? How, how does yeah, this happen? Yeah, look at Bo Palazzola. He's young like me. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> he's yeah, and he's not showing up in a suit or a tie. So no. No, and he's also, for listeners who, we have listeners all over the country, so for people who don't know who Bo is, he's also very young. Um, and Angela and I, I started in real estate at 17, and how old were you, like 18, 19? Yeah, 19. Yeah, so I mean, both of us were very young when we started in real estate, and I've sold half a billion dollars in real estate in my career, and Angela is right there at the same level now. It's been onesie, twosies, 200, 300, 400. Yeah, I feel like we're stupid, Lindsay. Like, we're, right. we're way too hard for but, but I do go back to, so I do a lot of like farm and ranch and acreage because those are bigger deals. There's more that goes into it. They're exciting. They're fun. Um, they're higher price points, but they're casual. And I think that's something that's always been in my mind is like, I 
I'm just not that girl that, I mean, I drive a hundred thousand dollar car. Angela has a, you know, we, we have nice things, right? Like, um, but maybe our money isn't in our closet, right? Or today you need to be relatable. Being relatable, yeah. as long as you know your stuff is much more important than trying to say you need to wear a suit and tie all the time. I mean, you need yeah. to be relatable. I guess to me, relatable was always like, well, I'm going to have to like go buy something Prada and then leave the tags on and return it. Not because I can't afford it, just because it's not my style, right? Or I need to go rent a Lamborghini for the day to show up in. But what yeah. did you drive when you took this big listing? Uh, a cheap car. And mm -hmm. they, they don't care. They're not worried about that. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't even cross their mind. Uh, it, it, I mean, Bo in Breckenridge, he's driving an old truck most of the time. They don't yeah. In fact, the more worried you are about what they think of you, the harder it is going to be for you to break in. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because I I have this girl in my market who I love dearly and um, she does a lot of luxury business. And at one point I was like, oh, I'll just hire her to come and work on my team because she's like the luxury girl. She does drive a G-Wagon and she is in all the things and all the fashion and stuff. And you know, I, it like didn't occur to me to go out and do it myself, even though I have the chops and the experience, right? So confidence, I guess you're right. So I have a question about, because most of your clientele is probably people that are super, super busy. I'm going to assume that the way that you follow up with them is a little bit different than the way that we might follow up with our clients because they are available typically. Um, so what does your follow-up process look like? Like are, what kind of pop buys are you doing to like keep front of mind with your clients or are you? So, I mean, you'd be surprised, but the higher up they are in their company, whether it's being self-made and being an entrepreneur or, um, being an executive, the more leverage they have. Hmm. So they're a lot more available than you think. Oh, really? I never thought about that. They're working whether they're at their house in the Hamptons, right. their house in Aspen, their house in Beverly Hills, but but they're or Miami, but but they're working, but they're more available than you think. Hmm. And if you're important to them, they will pick up the phone when you call. I'm I'm more wondering like what you're doing to stay front of mind after the sale or something like that with them marketing wise. Like what does that look like for you in your business? Because I'm sure it's different than what I'm doing. It's just a different level of what I'm doing. Not as different as you would expect. Again, most people are intimidated by the pricing, the price points. I'm doing a weekly email. I do a monthly text um, for all of this, regardless whether in the market or not. Um, real estate is real estate. Hmm. Um, I mean, most of my people are self-made entrepreneurs. They're corporate executives. You occasionally have an athlete. You'll have some multi-generational wealth, not, not as much as there used to be. Uh -huh. They respect the hustle and they respect the outreach. So are you doing like a pie giveaway for Thanksgiving? Like, are you going to see like a random no. Philly it, it, player show up for a pie giveaway? <laughs> no. And I, I don't do closing gifts either, but that has something to do I with luck. Like I just, you wouldn't get your lawyer. You wouldn't get your wealth advisor. Right closing gift or a gift or why am I like, you should value me before my knowledge. Yeah. And the gift is your, your proceeds. Like I killed it on your sale. Right. Or I 
negotiated a killer deal for you. I would love if you'd walk us through maybe if you're willing, um, like the process of getting your first piece of luxury business, whether it was um, a listing or a buyer, you know, what did, did you call them? Did you door knock? Did you meet them somewhere? Um, how'd you prepare all that jazz? Sure. So it was an expired listing, my first one. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised by this, but it wasn't just a million or two million. It was four million two fifty. And I went in and I really knew my stuff and um, stood my ground with him when it came to pricing and other things. Because, um, And that was it. He took a chance on me. When you hustle and you work, know your stuff, especially the self-made people, which are most of the people I deal with, they will take a chance on you because someone took a chance on them. Mm. So like there's one guy I've been dealing with lately. Um, I wouldn't say he's actively in the market right now, but he's got a $50 million jet, a $5 million house, but he drives around in a pickup truck. That may be an extreme example, but that's the type of person who will take a chance on somebody who's new to real estate or new to the high end. Mm. And are you usually um, competing against people when you're going in for appointments? Like, are people interviewing the top five in your city, or no? They don't have. You... Time. They don't. They don't have time to do no, that. Yeah. So it, it, the whole ninety-nine percent of age people interview one person is still true in luxury real estate. Wow. Definitely, at least in my market. I mean, we're not Beverly Hills. Um, and sometimes they'll inter if they're going to interview multiple people, it'll be two, but just go interview three, four, five people. It's just a waste of time. Interesting. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it, I'm surprised at the more parallels between like finger quotes, regular real estate and luxury real estate. How do you prepare for like a listing appointment with a big high end deal? So I do a two step process. Um, I don't know how anybody can walk in and give them a price on the first appointment. It just doesn't make sense to me. The houses are unique. They're one of a kind. I like to say they're like a piece of art. Um, and yeah, I mean, just insane amount of knowledge, insane amount of research. And you go in there and show the sellers that you know what you're talking about, that you're an expert. Are you, I know this is like kind of a silly question, but you just brought up art. Are you also researching and, and maybe you grew up like this, I don't know, but are you also researching other things in their world, right? Um, like what airplanes they might have or what fancy cars are or what art is, because that's another fear of mine that I'd be walking through someone's palatial mansion and they'd be like, oh, and look at this beautiful piece of art. And I'd be like, oh, did your five-year-old draw that? It's lovely, you know? <laughs> um, so I feel like you do have to kind of immerse yourself into some of that stuff, right? Maybe or not so yeah, much. Yeah, it to be relatable, however. You have to speak the language, right? However, if you're dealing with people in the one to $2 million range, they're not owning a private jet. They're just no. people most of the time who do okay and have a deep, have a good salary. Mm -hmm. But when you get to three to five million or higher, yes, you you need to know about the private jets. Although most of the time, if they have a private jet, unless they tell you, you won't know. I'd say the majority of the time you, you won't know. Um, and how much research are you doing? I, I think that what I really want people to hear, regardless of whether they want to go after luxury or whatever they want to do with their real estate career, it's the level of education. I mean, you have a PhD in your market. Right. And so when agents are all right now sitting around going like, what do I do? The deals aren't just like falling in my lap right now, like they were four or five months ago. 
you should educate yourself and and that's what you've done right so like how much education are you doing on the people that you're meeting because my guess would be the average real estate agent runs some comps has zero idea you know like in my market like same as you you could tell me a street name and i know exactly what neighborhood it's in i know how much the hoa is i know what the average price point is i know who the builders were in there um so you know you they're just gonna the average person your competition for the people that are listening your competition is going to run a couple comps and just show up right and and harry knows who he's talking to what the name you know all these things so how much are you researching the person that you're going in to meet with extensively however sometimes they're very privacy conscious and limit the amount of information that's out there yeah um, and you certainly don't want to ask other people because discretion and confidentiality is paramount and also a way in which i separate myself i mean you just don't talk you don't say anything but you know you know you know who you're meeting with before you go right you're you're looking at what who their personality might be what they're in uh, oh definitely i mean we're not in beverly hills where you're dealing with a business manager or some middleman um I'll, I'll deal with trust and estate attorneys uh, wealth advisors sometimes but not in the listing process just in terms of networking and getting the clientele mm -hmm. have you ever had an experience where you are starstruck or awestruck or anything like that with the people yeah have you ever walked in and gone oh my god you're so-and-so no although i did have one experience one time where the guy was so successful from an entrepreneurial standpoint that i kind of teared up i mean at the struggles and tribulations he's been through to get to the point of where he is but no we're not i'm not fawning over anybody they're people at the end of the day just like you and i and that's how they want to be treated like they're just a person we have a really good question they want exceptional customer service white glove high touch but they don't want to be outcast or treated differently because they have money or because they're famous interesting so we have a really good question from jennifer jennifer says since these homes are quite unique and one of a kind what does a price reduction conversation look like if that's needed and the seller feels that their uniqueness is worth more uh, sure. so i this head on in the listing appointment because I've developed a seven step pricing process, whereas my competitors are, don't have a pricing process or they're going in and doing what I call CMAs off the top of their heads. Mm -hmm. they're like you see a million dollar listing, which that show is fake except for this part. Yeah. Um, but they're coming in and they're just naming a number off the top of their head, 5 million, 3 million, 2.5. And it's like, where is that coming from? So I've developed a proprietary spreadsheet where I make percentage-based adjustments for what makes the house unique, and they really buy into it. It really heads off the ego of many luxury sellers who say, my house is like the Mona Lisa, nothing is like my house, my house doesn't compare, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so the other, in terms of the price reduction piece, we look at benchmarks probably similar to you guys do um i tell them we, we watch the online views the zillow views and for every 1000 people that come through the house i expect one physical showing 
at, at least. And if we're not getting that, that's a sign of the market rejecting our value proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a sign that we need to adjust. So I tell them that upfront before the listing period so they don't think you're making up the rules as you go along. My other question to piggyback on this, because this is relevant now um, with listings sitting a little bit longer and, and the majority of the realtor population not being used to that and it's making them wildly uncomfortable, the agents, not even the sellers. Um, how do you deal with, because like, what's your average days on market for a high-end listing? I mean, since COVID, it's been very short, but for a three or $5 million house outside of the way it's been, and it, I mean, it's still strong here, but it's it's going to tank eventually. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you, how do you deal with like, the pressure? Go yeah. Ahead, I mean, it, there will come a point where average days on market for those houses is 250 days to a year or more. So how do you deal with the pressure emotionally within yourself of having a listing set for 250 days? Because what we're seeing in Denver is Denver's leading the entire United States, Seattle's next in price reductions. Um, and it's, I, I'm calling them panic price reductions, right? Because the agents are like, oh shit, it didn't sell in seven days, reduce the price, right? Not the way you're supposed to do things. So how do you deal with like the pressure as the listing agent of sitting on the market for a protracted period of time? Constant communication with the sellers. I mean, they're not dumb. They know it's going to take some time. Um, right. they're not <clears throat> I always say they have great bullshit detectors. That's a separate thing, but they're not stupid. They didn't get there by being dumb. They know the market really well, (laughs) and you have to know it even better than them. So right now, I have a seller that's at a luxury price point over a million dollars that wants to reduce the price of their house, and I told them no, Um, absolutely not. Um, I think that you know we need to hold strong at that price point, and you just need to be more patient. Like it's just going to take a little bit longer than normal to sell it, but if we reduce the price of your house it's, we're not giving value there. Like the house is worth X amount of dollars. We're just not finding the right person yet. So we need to market to some different people, try some different things. Instead of doing that, I'd rather, you know, give $50,000 towards, you know, a kitchen renovation if that's what's needed instead of just dropping the price. Um, But I feel like most agents would be like, okay, let's drop it. Let's do it now. Um, I don't feel like that is at least in my market, what is needed right now. I think that that's like the knee jerk reaction to people not setting the expectation properly up front. Like, Hey, it's going to take a little while. Like this is normal. Like, and for our Colorado Springs market, like that luxury price point is going to be, you know, sitting on the market for six months. That's normal. Um, you know, there's a a threshold where the price doesn't matter. It if doesn't. there aren't buyers in the market, the price doesn't matter. Right. Right? And so again, with the panic price reductions, people are just dropping, dropping, dropping. And then they've done these enormous price reductions, which by the way, we didn't even see those dollar amounts in 2008, like during right. the actual recession. Insane, you know, six figure price reductions and they're still not selling. And it's like, you know, people think that if you drop. That all of a sudden the people are going to or something? No. Yeah, I, I mean, I know the markets have changed out west, unlike they have at least locally here. Mm-hmm. I mean, our, Philadelphia is an incredibly attractive place to live. Our right. prices are about half of what New York is. Mm-hmm. Taxes are lower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like there are some markets where taxes for high end houses are hundred, two hundred thousand dollars a year. Now yeah. we have a real trophy property, like a ten or eight million dollar house. Sure, that's one thing. But yeah. for our average luxury house, there. are 25 to 50 
maybe upwards of 60. They're not that bad, um, which may sound a little, <laughs> a bit like I'm um, ridiculous, but they're not that bad for the high end. Um, but no, our market has not changed all that much. It's slowing. Some buyers have gotten out. You're starting to see different buyers, a lot of high net worth people calling and wanting to get in on commercial or multifamily if they don't have holdings in that space already. Um, but our market is still hot. I mean, it just is. Things are that are priced right are still selling in three days, in a week, in two weeks. Yeah. Now, now there are a lot of things that are sitting, but that's because those sellers are pricing like they were 12 months ago. Right. But prices here have not dropped. You just need to go a little bit below, a little bit below the last sale to, to okay. get some traction. So how do you handle that? Like to piggyback on what Jennifer asked, how do you handle walking into um, somebody's house that, you know, their neighbor or somebody, they're below the last comp. How do you handle that conversation? Because a lot of agents have never had to do that before, right? So how do you handle that? The same way I handle any pricing conversation, I guess, to give them the truth um, and occasionally fault it to my pricing process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So that they find fault with that rather than me individually. Um, I think it's great to have a pricing process regardless of what price price point you're in. Because um, then you can say, this is the result of my process. This isn't me trying to make you mad or. So I know that's proprietary, but could you walk us through like what it would look I mean, like? It is proprietary, but the process is not. So what would, how could an agent make a pricing process? Like what would that look like? can be anything it can be so my pricing process for example is we'll gather the sales data we adjust the sales on the spreadsheet um we uh excuse me we look at the comps we do the adjustments um it's hard to remember but um we uh we 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 um i tell them the price in secret then i let them pick the price then I have what I call the pricing committee comes through, which is just the local office or local agents for my company. I have them give me their opinion. And then I say, we test the market acceptance of the price. So then if we, like I had a listing recently, just under 4 million and uh, 35,000 views on Zillow and online websites. But we had like three or four showings in the first 90 days. So they had already dropped the price once, but I'm like, this is the market talking. This is the market rejecting your value proposition. I have a weird question. Um, when things in the economy change, people always say stuff like rich people always have money. <laughs> um, rich people just get richer during a downturn. And I'm not being political at all. I'm asking what is your opinion on what the luxury market will do um, if we do see kind of a little bit more of a recession type environment? Um, do those buyers and sellers stop moving around as much or is it more like the middle that gets kind of compressed? Because are they affected by it? Most definitely. Um... And it's certainly the first dominator to fall in terms of, a, of the housing market. Um, what's the other piece I was going to say? Um, the million to two million will definitely slow down. Um, but somebody buying a five or a $10 million house, they're probably still going to be able to buy a five or a $10 million right. house. Now, now they will, right? 
now they have more negotiation room, definitely mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but most people buying a five or ten million dollar house, for example, are worth eighty, a hundred million dollars or more, most of the time at least. So, I mean, they have investments. Yes, their investments will go down like anybody else, um, and that'll change. But it's it's mostly they not a lot of buyers out. And the ones who are use the market conditions as negotiating power. Right. So walk us through, if I decided today I wanted to be a luxury agent, walk us through what you think is the path, the steps to get to breaking into this segment of the business. Sure. So the first thing to do is research your market. Um, For every market, it will be different. But for my market, it would be looking at all sales in the past two years over $3 million in terms of houses. Who were the buyers? Who were the sellers? What's the square footage? What did it sell for compared? I know you're not going to like this, but here assessments mean nothing in terms of sales prices. So we use what things are selling for compared to the Zestimate. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There's no other, we don't have any other benchmark to use. Mm-hmm. Other, other markets like Texas and other states, you can use what things are selling for compared to the assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who are the buyers? Who are the sellers? What do they do? That's important because some markets, they're called, a lot of them are hedge fund guys coming from financial services or something like that, or they're all self-made entrepreneurs or they're movie stars if you're in Beverly Hills or something like that. Tammy wants to know, um, where do you start studying the statistics and procedures used to build the confidence level necessary for these high-end listings? First place to start is in your MLS. Um, Closings happen every day. I don't know if you're familiar with Ricky Carruth, but I love him for that. Um, But um, start with your MLS and then depending on how much you can access from like in my my market, except for one county, it can all be accessed from public records outside of the MLS. So you go to the county, search their property, and then you can see all the off-market sales. Um, Some markets won't be as accessible, you may need to go and talk and network with the other high-end agents. Go to their broker's opens, go to their open houses and talk to them. I'm in my market that we have um, like agents that are known for luxury listings here. I wouldn't say that we have, I I can't even name two people that have sold more than, you know, more houses than one or two that are over $2 million that are not custom built homes. Like, there just aren't, there's not a market here yet for that. Sure. Um, but, but I'm sure there is a top 10% of price points in your market. Right. Yeah. If, like if you go to Kansas, even if it's five or 700,000, there's something that some price point that is the top 10% of your market. Mm-hmm. So, so you get the knowledge, which Tammy is an incredible amount of legwork. That's what he's doing. That's what, um, I would say almost 100% of people don't do, right? So he's really digging. I'm sure you use social media to try to piece together pieces of who people might be. You're looking probably for like articles, right? Like, um, Yeah, the other thing I do is when they're in the news, we'll frame the article, laminate it, and send a nice note. It was great. Great to see you be featured, be wonderful to connect or work with you at some point. Have a great Thanksgiving or Merry Christmas or whatever it is. I love that. Yeah. So back work. I mean, you're like a PI, right? For your community. Um, and then, so once you have the knowledge, then what's the next step? Start sure. Yeah. Just, before I, just to give you an example of how the knowledge pays off. 
It's a house in my market sold about five or six years ago for north of $5 million, somewhere between five and six, I think 5.6 million, 5.4 million. Anyway, I was at the local pharmacy the other day and seller didn't know me. I didn't know him. I said hi, but I knew exactly what he was, who he was and what property he owned from the research that I've done. So you went up to him or? I said hi. Yeah. Everything. Yep. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you have the knowledge, then what do you do? You go, did you start by cold calling? Did you start by going to events? Those people don't. I, so I started by expires and also the gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. So trust in a state attorneys are big, depending on the laws in your state, they need annual updates on the value. So they put the house in the trust a lot of times over okay. time, they transfer it to the kids or whoever the beneficiary is. And after a certain point of time, they're running the house on paper back from the trust. So they need an annual update. doesn't need to be an appraiser or an appraisal, but a lot, depending on your state's laws, a lot of state, most states, you can do that. So I wouldn't recommend charging for it. However, when Mm -hmm. you do it, the referrals are going to come your way big time. Also CPAs, um, any service providers who deal with wealthy people in some markets, it might be ski people. It might be car people. It might be horse people. It might be golf people. Um, There are a lot of service providers or people who they know like lawyers, CPAs, wealth advisors who may not be rich themselves, but who know a lot of rich people and can connect you. That is if you're not born rich or well connected. Like, like I was, I came from, I was born in like a $250,000 house. So if you're not born in that world, the expireds and that and direct mail is how you break in and the cold calling. So direct mail, mailing them, um, you're probably not mailing them a postcard. No, no, I mean, I use this handwritten um, note service, so it looks like it's coming from me, even though it's not. But yeah, yeah, just big, big, glossy postcards, like the biggest Mm -hmm. size they have and setting yourself apart. Again, wealthy people don't like run of the mill. They want to know that you're different because they're different. Um, So I'll do these postcards. We'll still do just listed, just sold the same thing you guys are doing, although they're custom, have my logo, my branding. But um also do ones the seven biggest mistakes mainline home sellers make and how to avoid them call today for the free report or scan the qr code for the free report so it's a creative way of generating leads that that stands out and you're you're providing value i have a question about marketing these properties Uh, so most of the time at least in my market the buyers for these properties are not currently in this market. So where should I be getting these houses out to? Who should I be targeting? Like what areas of the country should I be targeting for these houses? If I have no idea where they're coming from, there's no like real trend, but they're just not from here. Interesting. There's so in my market, they're 90, 95% of the time, if not more, they're local. Um, Ours are not. Okay. But it's a big state. Like I have no idea what part of California they're all coming from. I don't know. I know that Bowen Palaz, uh, Bo Palazzola in Breckenridge, he networks with a lot of agents in feeder markets. So mm-hmm, right. you're telling me that you can't track the feeder market? No. I would tell you that I didn't research it hard enough. So I'm going to go back to doing more work. That's an intro. I don't yeah. know for Angela because so Angela and I are both in Colorado, but we're about an hour apart from each other and we're completely different metro areas. Um, so I don't know for her. 
and her market is almost all military driven. There's got to be some pattern, right? Some pattern. And if there isn't, if it's military driven, I would look at where the military bases are in California, what towns are in, and call the top agents in those towns. It's not, those are not military buyers for the most part. Uh, okay. Not in the area of town I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Broadmoor area. Mm. Uh, but it's actually a listing that Tammy's probably asking about right now. Um, and I just can't track where these people are coming from. Um, I get, I'm getting sign calls because they're seeing social media posts about the house and getting people without agents from California that have seen the house, but they're all over California. It's a huge state. So I have no idea exactly who to target or, you know, I know at least the ages of people it's, you know, over sixties. Um, but I can't well, how, do that anymore. What would you do? Cause I guess, um, okay. So going back to million dollar listing, and I think this is what she's asking. You always see those guys on million dollar listing. We've had a few of them on the show. Right. They go in and they they sell to their clients this idea of like international marketing. Well, I have an international network, right? So I think what Angela is asking is like, how would you market to people that are out of state or internationally? Are there like publications? Would you try to get your listing out to them? I mean, like. So, so sometimes I'll have a seller ask me, well, how many, how much print advertising are you going to do? And I'll tell them none. I study what works and I thought on your property, we would be do what has been proven to work. Does that make sense to you? So my opinion is print is completely dead. Um, it's a giant money pit. It's a waste of money. Um, the only reason to do it is to get potential sellers. But um, you're also not really like, you're not going to put out Facebook ads for a $10 million property, right? So like, no, I mean, it, it's, it's through, it's like targeted marketing through email list. So like the people we get from cold calling in the high end areas from doing direct mail and in the market. Um, sometimes you can form partnerships with auto dealers. Um, there's different things you can do word of mouth. So even if they're not on your list, it doesn't mean other people won't send it to them or share it with them. Um, but, but, but back to your question, being that my market is 95% local, and yeah. the rest, they all, they all come from New York or, or a certain place. New York, places. New Jersey, Delaware, right in that corner. Mm -hmm. A little bit of California occasionally in the high end, but this is only since COVID. Like historically, it's all local. Yeah. Um, the only thing I could say is study the patterns. There's got to be some sort of pattern somewhere if you go back long enough. And I would do that by like, and the reason I bring this up is because I was doing it for another purpose last week. Um, call all the agents, right? Who's, oh, I was looking for, I was looking for patterns on who the buyers are that are in our market right now, because they're a little bit more few and far between. Um, and so what I did was call every uh, real estate agent that sold in my market a listing in the last like 90 days. And I asked them, where'd your buyer come from, right? Um, almost all of them said renters, which I thought was really interesting, but that's how I would probably research how do I find the buyers? And then I guess you go market to where the buyers see are. Or maybe there's a pattern in who they work for or what industry they're in or something like that. Mine are retired know. for this price point over in this area. Retired. So where do I find these people? <laughs> golf course. But, right. But, I mean, it's a broad golf course, which is nice, but they're not course, yet. Look at golf course retirement communities. Look who... Agents are in those communities, call them up, build referral relationships with them. Okay. What is your, 
average commission? That's such a shitty question to ask, but I'm curious because I bet what people are going to say is, well, Harry gets to spend all this time researching things and digging into all this data. And he's so smart because he gets paid so much per deal. So he only has to do two deals a year. That's what people are going to ask. No, my average commission is between 25 and $30,000. My average price point is like 1.5 million. Not as high as you would think. Um, well, because those giant trophy properties, like you called them. Only so many. And they don't turn over that frequently, right? So No, and it's a discretionary market. I mean, if they're feeling right, if they really want to be in that location, uh -huh. if it's exactly what they want, if you can convince them they need to build what they want, then they'll do it. I mean, I have to be careful what I say here, but I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago who it's like, may move at some point there's really no motivation right. like they don't have to move no i mean they've got a fine three four million dollar house right now uh -huh. it's like maybe they want a trophy property at some point as they have more kids they don't really know they're not sure um and then there was a buyer i was uh showing to recently it's like he's got a three million dollar house he doesn't really need to move if he's going to move, it's got to be exactly what he want. Mm -hmm. My market, we have no land. The only way you get land is by tearing something down. Yeah. So it's like, it's like if they're in the right mood and the stars are aligned and it's sunny out, maybe they'll sell. Maybe they'll buy. This is why Angela is not a good fit for the luxury market. <clears throat> but I mean, culture is at zero when it comes to that. I'm like, stop wasting my time. Yeah. Well, but I'm assuming you go out and make deals. I'm just, it's just an assumption, but like, versus I might just put a client on a list of, you know, like, here's a drip. I'll send you houses. Right. Like you probably go to a broker open and then call your clients and be like, Hey, I found one. Um, so again, work is what I'm getting from this whole conversation. Yes. I mean, if you watch Ryan, also look at Ryan Serham. So this is also where I set myself apart in my market how he convinced somebody who was thinking of running on the Upper East Side of Manhattan to go and buy a $140 million estate down in uh, Palm Beach, who was not in the market. He did a video on TikTok the other day about that. If you watch how he, how he was able to, like sometimes they don't even know what they want. Mm. They don't, you have to sense- Create that vision for them, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah, because- the person before he bought the estate in Palm Beach, um, in the video, it was like he was telling Ryan Sarhant was saying like he mentioned Florida and he was like, I don't know anything about Florida. So he took the guy from being neutral when it came to Florida to selling him a $140 million house in a matter of three or four days. I, I mean, our transactions are more based on need. Don't get me wrong. Most of ours are too, even in the high end, but you get to assert like up to like 3 million, maybe, maybe four sometimes, but once you get over four, they don't have to sell and they don't have to buy. Hmm. So you really have to create that, that need or that vision. They have to fall in love with something they want more than what their current situation is. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or fall in love with building exactly what they want. Yeah. And are you doing um 
do you do broker opens? So in Denver, not one human goes to those things. And I don't know why that is. Um, I guess I'm going to go back to probably we're lazy uh, and we're not doing research and going and seeing what our competition is doing. But do you do those as a part of your marketing? Are those big I in your do. marketing? Funny enough, my competitors still are not doing it. They haven't done them since COVID. Mm. But yes, I'm big on them, big on networking, especially with other agents in other markets, even though most of our people are local. You never know who's moving here. And even if they don't have referrals, just constantly talking to other luxury agents and tapping into what they're doing, how they're competing, what they're doing for marketing, what they're doing for PR. It's just, I'm always learning new things and adapting. So a uh, question. So if like, let's say I wanted to break into luxury or an opportunity came my way and it was a luxury opportunity. And we talked earlier about like the barrier of, uh, you know, the level of entry that you need to go out and spend money on these listings. Right. Um, what if I was a newer agent and I didn't have that money? What would you do? Just out of curiosity, would you, are you going to go take a loan? Are you going to not do the marketing? What do you do in that situation? So I don't like the idea of co-listing just because I'm a high D personality. It doesn't really work for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would go, I would go find another luxury agent at your brokerage and I would co-list with them and you get them to front to marketing and tell them you'll pay them back at closing. Hmm. Smart. Yeah. Cause I think that's another, and, and then you also get their track record with you. So I think that's a, you know, like a, a question that, um, people have, it's like, well, what if I don't have the money? What am I going to do? You know, um, either co-list or you're not ready yet or go take a loan, go sell something. I mean, we had someone on the, on the show last week who got stuck in a bad investment property and sold his car and walked for a year in order to, you know, um, do what he needed to do. So, you know, it, it goes back to how bad do you want it? Right. I guess. Um, Jennifer, thanks for the comments today, guys. This is fun. Um, is there any difference in what's expected with negotiations and inspections in this market? Are you asking him like how deeply they're negotiating? Right. Like is somebody asking for like a hot, like a water heater and like cosmetic stuff, or are they just saying, don't worry about it. We're going to take it as is and we'll send somebody in to fix it. Uh, sometimes it's the first, sometimes it's the second. Um, the higher you go in price point, the higher net worth you're dealing with, the tougher they are when it comes to negotiating. Yeah. So how do you, um, I mean, that's what I, I think that's what's scary to people too, is like, okay, A, these people know more than I do. But, but here's the thing. Until you're by researching, but then B, these people are going to out negotiate me. They're going to kick my ass as the agent. So how do you level up your negotiation skills? To work with these people uh reading the book by um what's his name the ex the uh, ex uh, yeah. Never yeah great, no. great book but most important is being detached from the outcome mm. being detached indifference is really hard it's probably the hardest sales tactic um and once you master indifference i feel like that's like your freedom moment exactly i mean it, and the funny thing is that's another area where i shine because i just have to say my I don't like to talk about my competitors, but they're, when it comes to negotiation, there's, no, there's nothing special about them. Hmm. What makes you special? What, what is your I've studied it and I'm, I'm tough. I'm really tough and I'm willing to walk away. Hmm. Um, 
I always say it, it may sound like a big deal to sell a five or a $10 million house, but the people doing buying and selling these houses are doing deals in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars on a regular basis. Mm, that's so true. So to them, it's like, man, it's nothing. I was, it's funny. I was talking to a wealthy recently about this and it really is nothing. It's, it's, Wild. it's like, it's like us buying a candy bar. Hmm. I feel like the main difference that I just heard was down at our normal price point. Um, we're like, everybody's working together for a common goal. We all want to get to closing. We all want to like be cooperating. And at your price point, it's like, who are you hiring? That's a better negotiator. Who's the biggest shark? Like you want them in your corner. Like this is just an investment. There's no emotion to it. So it's a lot harder because people can walk away and your commission is not guaranteed until it closes. Um, is that accurate? I mean, it, they, it is a primary house for most people. So they do get it. They do get emotionally attached. My job is to not get attached mm. and to not let them overpay. That's really hard, especially I feel like for women to not get emotionally attached. Do you have any, I mean, being a high D and being a man, I feel like that maybe just comes more naturally to you, but, um, you know, for people that, that is a huge deal. Like I cannot tell you in a year in my career, how many agents that I talk to and the agents are screaming, the agents are crying, the agents are emotional. And I'm like, this isn't even, you are a facilitator from two parties in between. This isn't your deal. This isn't your children. This isn't your, you know, so do you have any, um, any advice on how to detach yourself from, I think people feel like, if you're attached to the commission, that's a whole other problem. We're not even going to talk about that. But I think that a lot of people feel like the, they they haven't done a good job. Their client doesn't think they've done a good job unless they negotiated 50 grand off the price or unless they got an extra $50,000 above list or whatever. Like, So their clients are going to be like upset with them, right? So how do you emotionally detach a little bit? That's a hard one. Yeah, I mean... The first thing, there's something I was going to say that when you were asking the question, I guess it got off hand. But um, I talk too much. It's my fault. <laughs> I, no, I, here it is. I don't. I don't ever think about the commission. I really don't. I mean, this is really my passion. Money is great, but it, it's secondarily. I mean, it's not. If they see ATM on your forehead or you see ATM on their forehead, they're going to back off. I mean. Mm -hmm they have great honed detectors to smell BS to know when you're out there just for the commission and you don't care about them. Um, they can sense that stuff. And do they, do they expect you to just be a shark, be super tough? Be not all of them. No, I mean, they're people, but if you're dealing with a billionaire, yeah, they may be nice to you, but they want a deal. They want a deal just like anybody else wants a deal. Yeah. Um, Jennifer wants to know, do you put any clauses in your listing agreement for reimbursement of marketing or staging if the seller decides not to sell? Because staging on your level could be tens of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. Uh, it Not tens, but three to 5,000 a month. Um, yeah. I am not charging enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I make them pay for it. 
Yeah, you do. But, but, but I'm not a big fan of staging because if you look, have you looked up that word in the dictionary? No. It means basically to put on a show, manipulative, not real, contrived, and people in the high end don't want to be played. So, um, the but other people thing. People in the high end, they probably had a designer already. Like, so, yeah, now they, Angela's already been there. And she's already made the home beautiful. So I guess, yeah, and when you say yeah, it like yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. unless it's an estate sale or a trust sale, it's already beautiful. They're constantly improving it. They're constantly doing something to it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yes, there are clauses for reimbursement. And if they don't want to sign, I won't take the listing. Hmm. Um, I, I, I made that mistake once and it will never happen again. Um, I had a big listing, several million dollars, didn't put any clothes in there. They canceled after six months for no reason. Um, brokerage contract, let them cancel after six months. They turned around and sold it to a buyer that I showed it to. So there was a procuring cause issue. I, I, I'm not going to waste my time pursuing it. I'll just go on to the next piece of business, helping the next person. But, um, and I that, on that one, I spent about five grand marketing. So after that, never again. So um, not just staging, like your photography, your videos, all that stuff. You have a clause in there that says that they'll you can recapture that. Yes, but only if they decide not to sell. Yeah. In fact, I've had some high end sellers recommend it. Like they they initiate it. Well, again, I mean, they're doing business on a really high level, they're, like you said, probably writing contracts that have clauses in there that are terrifying, pages long, right? So like, they probably look at your little clause and they're like, Meh, yeah, that's normal. What I heard through this conversation was do the work and I don't know how to say. Uh, you just have to outwork everybody else. You have to work your ass off 24 seven. I still work 12, 14 hour days every single day. If I take one vacation a year, I'm lucky. Hmm. And also get over the. Just to break in, my goal is to become number one in my market. So mm -hmm. it takes a lot more than just breaking in and doing a luxury deal here or there. Yeah. And also like demystify the level of client that you're working with right like just don't be so afraid of them or so afraid of the luxury market is kind of what i heard too yeah there are people like everybody else um and most of the misconceptions in the world about wealthy people are the furthest from the truth most of them are some of the nicest people i've ever met hmm. most considerate and be yourself too because they have a high bullshit detector like you said so yes. if a t-shirt guy, wear a t-shirt. If you're a suit guy, wear a suit. If you drive a Corolla, drive a Corolla. If you drive a G-Wagon, drive it, right? Correct. I mean, the last thing I'd say is when they ask you how many houses have you listed over 3 million, how many have you listed over 5 million, because that is going to come up. Oh, yeah. Don't skirt around it. Don't circumvent your response. I'm always straightforward. I tell them none, but let me tell you something. I'm going to make my mark on the listing and sell your property. It's going to be the focus of my entire business. You get 100% me. I won't take another listing in this area or price point until we have an accepted offer in your house. How does it feel to have somebody this energetic, this hungry, this motivated to get your property sold? And most of them see a little bit of that spark. They see that hustle. They see them in you when you take that approach. 
Confidence. What would you do to build your confidence? I mean, naturally, you're just very confident, but someone who isn't, what would you recommend there? Gain an insane amount of market knowledge as fast as you can. That brings an insane amount of confidence. Yeah. Well, this was awesome, Harry. I feel like I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for your comments today. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go out and do some luxury business. That was very inspiring. <laughs> yes, I love it. Thank you so much. Stick with us for a few minutes, and everybody, we'll see you next Tuesday at 10. Bye, guys. Angela and Lindsay would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the Homegirls on social media at The Real Homegirls Podcast.